Oh, let's try that again. Good morning. Good morning, winter warriors. How many feel like you've been fighting the cold all weekend? Like, literally fighting the cold. I think I, um, in the course of two days, I was looking for block heater cords in seven different vehicles in the course of two days because uh, friends or people we knew or ourselves and... Yeah, it's quite something. In fact, I was at Canadian Tire last night buying a battery and uh, talked to uh, Betson, who goes to our church here, and uh, he said he'd done a four-hour shift, and in that time he'd sold 100 batteries. (laughs) And while I was there, there were still people coming in behind me, and they were all there buying batteries. It was just like into Canadian Tire, straight to batteries. Everybody was just turning the corner. It was quite something. So I was just talking to some of our friends from South Africa, and they basically were asking the question that we ask every year. Why do we live in a land that, where the air hurts our face? Why do we do that? Uh, and they were asking this morning, how do you survive? And I said, well, we just begin to hope for summer again. Yeah. Well, let me tell you a story from my high school days. Uh, when I played high school football, every time I say that, there's an element of disbelief because you see the size of me. So in grade nine, I played defensive back, which is you just have to be fast. You don't have to be big. And then I got a little bit bigger the next year, so they let me play corner linebacker. Again, still lots of running. And then in my grade 11, they let me play middle linebacker. And um, playing for the, the school that I played for, for the Sura Sabres, our coach had the philosophy of really wanting to let um, kids on the team lead. And so if you're the quarterback, he would let you call the plays. Of course, there was a playbook, and you got training and all those things, but you could call the plays on the field. But on the defense, the middle linebacker, uh, there's often two of them, they could call the defensive plays on the field. Well, defensive plays, weren't you didn't have to memorize quite as many plays, so they usually put the the less intellectual kids on the defensive side of the ball. But I was so excited for grade 11 because I remember the very first time I got to call the plays as the middle linebacker. And so we traveled to Dauphin, Manitoba, which is a town, it was an exhibition game. They were a town probably about five times our size. And the Ukrainian Ukrainian boys there were about five times our size as well. And so we're in this game, and uh, they're just hammering us. They're killing us on every play. But I was sort of—I was so excited, even though we were getting killed on every play, because I was getting to call the plays. And so I didn't. There's a lot of defensive plays you can call, but I didn't know them all. But the two I lo- I love playing is I love calling a blitz, which is basically pick somebody to abandon their responsibilities in their position and go straight for the quarterback. And so you pick someone on the strong side or the weak side or maybe a a middle linebacker to come up the middle and just try to disrupt things for them. The other one is to call a stunt on the on the the lineman get one of the linemen to cut across and hit the his buddy's opponent so the other guy can sneak in behind and go after the quarterback. Those are the two plays I called again and again and again and again and you know I don't think it actually helped us 
I think abandoning our responsibilities at different positions uh, left lots of gaping holes for their offense to run through us, and they were already beating us. Um, and I think it sort of shows you that, you know, if you keep doing what you've always done, you'll keep getting the results that you've always got. What I needed to do on some of those plays was to stop being so excited that I was getting to call the, the plays, but to stop and occasionally analyze what was happening on the offensive end. If they're lining up with three flanker uh, you know, receivers on this side, then maybe I need to call an audible about that blitz on the weak side. Or maybe, just maybe, if it gets bad enough, I need to call a timeout and talk to the coach and say, I don't know what I'm doing. What, get, can you give me some advice? Tell us what you would do in this situation. A number of years back, in our church, we called an audible, or maybe you could say we called a timeout. And it was around something very specific. We weren't seeing a lot of people coming to become first-time believers in Christ. And so I remember having a meeting in the fellowship hall. I think we called it Move the Core. And so we, had, we had invited many leaders from our church who were, um, or, so we're gathering sort of the core leaders and different people in the church, and we presented the problem. We said, we're, we, what, what can we do? And our acknowledgement was we didn't know what to do, and we really were looking for solutions. So we got good, some good suggestions that day from people from the core of our church. One of the suggestions that came out of that day was, you know, um, maybe we should start using Alpha, the Alpha program. And we did. We started using that, and that's been a real blessing. Um, the other thing was, let's, um, let's keep our, our eyes open and our ears open to possible ways that we could become more effective at winning people to Christ in Canada. And so through that, many other resources have, have come forward. And then the other thing was just a posture of uh, dependence on the Lord, of praying. And I can tell you many, many times, in, especially with our staff team, we've prayed the same prayer. I've prayed the same prayer, especially, Lord, you're the great provider, and we need strategies, we need ideas, we need what will work in our context. So as a result of that, we've had some good things happen. Alpha has definitely helped us. We've seen people come to Christ through that. Um, we, we encountered something called prayer evangelism, which really was um, helpful to us. Some of you might even uh, know or be able to recall the, the four steps of prayer evangelism. We talk about start with blessing, spend time with people, meet needs, and then share Jesus. Just sort of a progression of, of how to engage people. And it's really a heart posture as well. But I guess today I'm calling another audible. Even though we've had some things that have helped us, when I look at the, uh, the need, when I look at the size of the harvest field, I think that even though we've, we've taken some steps that I think have been very helpful, we, I think we take, need to take some new steps to, take us even, to make us even more effective. And so... We're starting a new series, and, and uh, the series is called The Commands of Christ. Simply The Commands of Christ. And the subtitle is this, Equipping a Follower of Jesus to Simply Obey His Commands. 
equipping a follower of Jesus to simply obey his commands. My desire is for us to say, as we go through this series, and as we, we get closer to the end of it, that people will say, I, I get it. I see it. I see how I can play a greater role in seeing more people come to know Jesus Christ. That's our great hope. And it stems out of Matthew 28, 19 to 20. It says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If you're reading a scripture and you're wondering how to activate it for your life a little bit, there's good questions you can ask. Here's two you could ask about this, this um, scripture passage. You could say, is there a command to obey? You could ask that about any scripture passage. Is there a command to obey? And definitely there is. Um, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples is the, the headline command in there. And there's, there's also the thing that baptizing is a part of that. And then in verse 20, it says this line, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So it doesn't just say, go and make disciples and leave it completely and utterly vague what that means. It does indicate that that will involve baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but also teaching those disciples to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, do you ever, I don't know about you, do you wince when you read these verses? I do. I wince a little bit. I read them and I, I, uh, I think about the state of disciple-making in the Canadian church and I think of even my own uh, efforts and, um, and then I wince twice as much as you do because I also see this line that says, teach them to obey everything I commanded you. And I think, how have I, as a leader of such a great church, done in fulfilling this command of Christ? If what we're doing isn't working, then it's up for leaders to call an audible and change the play. And... Um, Sometimes, though, as leaders, you yourself don't know exactly how, the, how to change the play. And so we pray, and we ask, and we say, Lord, give us the strategies, give us the ideas, give us, give us the resources, give us divine appointments with people or organizations or however you want to do it. But speak to us and help us to have insight and wisdom in order to be able to be effective. So I'm calling an audible today as your pastor, and I am saying that we're not penetrating the darkness in people's lives enough. Good things are happening. I'm not denying that. There's many great things that we can celebrate, but we're not making disciples who can make disciples enough. And so when we come back to what he's called us to do, we cry out to him and say, Lord, teach us. Teach us how to do these things. Teach us how to, how to be effective. Now, the good news is that even while things are not as we hope them to be, there are good things happening in the world. 
And I, one thing I've been sort of following for the last couple of years is how much effort is being put into trying to train Christians so that what they do makes disciples who can make disciples. There's a lot of effort being put into um, learning or get, learning tools and, and, and strategies for how to reach a world um, that is vastly unreached. And so, I've, because I've sort of been curious about this and poking around in this area, and I've even got a little bit of training in this area in the last couple of years, I'm getting more and more hopeful all the time. In fact, I see uh, that there are, are strategies and there are tools and there are things that we could be utilizing and understanding and growing in and becoming familiar with that can help us to accomplish the mission. And so... Through this series that we're going to go through, we're going to introduce you to a number of those things, some strategies, some heart posture, and some of them are just tools, things that you just didn't know how to, how, how to say things, how to do things. We're going to do some training together. In fact, I'll introduce you in a little bit later, I'll introduce you to one of those tools today, a very simple one that you could use uh, even in your life this week. But the harvest is plentiful in Canada. And the laborers are few. And so it's essential that we cry out to the Lord of the harvest. And it's essential that what we ask for is that he would help us to make disciples who make disciples. And so I want to start by showing you, this is a a video, um, um, and it's just talking about the vision of reaching an area for Christ. Okay, so just show you this first video and then I'll come back and chat about it a bit. If you have a vision to reach lostness in a city or a region, it's important to know how much lostness there is in that community. So we're gonna calculate the brutal facts together. The first is you've gotta know what the, the population for an area is. And you can commonly find this on Wikipedia or your local government website. Um, We're going to calculate for the state of Florida. There's 20 million people in the state of Florida. And as far as now we need to calculate the lostness. So uh, finding the percentage of lostness, usually our local Baptist Association or or George Barna are typically a a good place for reliable stats. So we're at about 90% of lostness in the state of Florida, which means there are 18 million lost people who are far from God. This means that in the state of Florida, there are 18 million people who if they were to die today, would perish into an eternity in hell. How does that sit with you? Whose responsibility is it to reach these 18 million people? That's right. It's our responsibility. We are his ambassadors that have been placed here. Does this number seem a bit overwhelming or daunting? Yeah. Well, it would probably help if we could see an example of reaching this many people from the Scriptures. So go ahead and turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 19, verses 8 to 10. We'll read this together. It 
It reads, And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So what we see happening in Acts 19, as Paul is in Ephesus, is that every resident of Asia, and this is anywhere from 8 to 15 million estimated people, heard the gospel in two years. Isn't that incredible? He took a handful of fruitful disciples and two years later, all of Asia heard the gospel. This is an example of what we would call no place left. Where everyone in a city or a region or an area hears the gospel. This is what we're laboring towards. What would it look like to see no place left in your city? So we've got to ask ourselves a couple questions. Number one, what's it going to take to see no place left in your city? What are you willing to do? What are you willing to give up? And the second question is, will you die for this? Are you willing to sacrifice your life to see the people in your city reached with the gospel? So that's the the brutal facts there. But there's some hope in it, isn't there? God has done this kind of transformative uh, gospel invasion into a territory before. And I think throughout human history, we've seen that happen again and again, where God has, has done it. I mean, here in Canada, I was just looking up a bunch of different research on Canada, but I'll, I'll just share one stat with you this morning. Uh, Canadians are twice as likely as Americans to say that religion is of no value at all. Do you, do you guys have that slide? Maybe that. I, maybe we can get that up there. Yeah. So this is it. Uh, so in the United, States, the red is people saying that religion is very valuable, and then the lighter red is rather valuable, and then the light green is not very valuable, and then not at all. So in Canada, thirty thirty six percent, when this survey was done, responded that it's not valuable at all. Now, you could say, oh, man, that's not good. It's not good, and it's twice as many as, as in the United States, as you can see. Can we show them the value? Can we show 36% of Canadians the value, not of religion, just any old religion, but show them the value of knowing Jesus? How can we show them the value of knowing Jesus? 
Well, do you, do you know the value of knowing Jesus? Let's start there. So if we know the value of knowing Jesus, how do we translate that? How do we communicate that? How do we take that uh, into uh, this culture and into this world? So what's it going to take is the big question. And, well, the other bigger question is, will you die for this? There's an element of dying to ourselves in being willing uh, that others may live, right? The gospel is always uh, life to the receiver, but there's an element of death to the giver because there's lots of ways in which we just want to live for ourselves, our own comfort, our own safety, our own convenience, our own kingdom. And yet, We've been made, if you're a follower of Christ, you've been made a resident of a different kingdom that has a whole different set of values. And as we embrace those values, it leads to dying to old values and embracing something new. You know, it's interesting. He, he says the word lostness, penetrating lostness. Um, I was just thinking about the word lost. Uh, it's, in its biblical context, it has a lot to do with valuing. A lot to do with valuing. So Jesus tells three stories. He says there's a man, he's a shepherd, he's got 100 sheep, he loses one, and he surprisingly leaves the 99 and goes on an all-out search, so much effort, to find the one and bring it back. Then he tells a second story right off the back of that one, and he says there's a woman, she has 10 coins in her house, one goes missing. So she goes on an all-out cleaning bee, turning the house inside out, everywhere. She's cleaned the whole place to find that one coin. And so just when you think, okay, yeah, I get it. Livestock and money, that's valuable. Jesus tells the third story, and this time it's about a son who had a dad who loved him, but he rejects that love and rejects his dad's leadership in his life, and instead he goes away and... Just when you thought the stories were about money, he wastes all this money that's the family's money. He wastes it all on just evil stuff. And he comes home ashamed. And here's a father who should say all sorts of things of reproof and and correction and maybe just have nothing to do with his son. But what does he do? He runs out to meet him. He grabs him. He hugs him. He kisses him. and And the son says, I'm not worthy to be your son. And he says... You're my son. Bring the robe. Bring the ring. Let's have a feast. So when you hear the word lost, I want you to think value. Value. The shepherd showed how much he valued the sheep, and the woman showed how much he valued the coin, and the father showed how much he valued the son. So many people are lost, and yes, lost does mean that we've lost relationship with God. It does mean that sin has come in the way. And all humanity is lost. And all humanity, Christ wants to redeem, wants to restore that relationship that was lost. So valuing is shown by the effort made to restore what was lost, and so There was a valued sheep and a valued coin, and there was a valued son. And God demonstrated the value he placed on us by going to the cross. The effort he made came as a baby, 
lived a sinless life, died as our sacrifice on our behalf on the cross. We were lost, and he showed how much he valued lost people. You know, if you're here today and you say, I, I'm not a Christian or I'm not a follower of Jesus, I want to just tell you that God demonstrated the value he placed on your life by the effort he made to bring you into relationship with him. That's what he desires, is to have a love relationship with you. He desi- There's several things in that. He, he desires to forgive your sin. He desires to lead your life. He desires to celebrate with the angels that the one who is lost is found. He desires to restore you into relationship, just like he desires to restore, just restore all humanity. But if you are a follower of Jesus, I want to say this to you. He's asking us to follow. Uh, he's asking us as his followers to value people like he does to die to ourselves so that others can live. I'm gonna wa- we're going to watch another video here, and it just talks about, if you are a believer, it talks about our identity. So I'm going to share this, and I think our identity is very important in understanding our role in making disciples. So continuing with the 411, we're now going to answer the first question of why do we make disciples? Now, a minute ago, we read in the Great Commission that Jesus commands us to. So that's enough. But we also need to understand that making disciples isn't just something we do. It's part of who we are. It's part of our identity as a follower of Jesus. To help us better understand that, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. So go ahead and read that passage with your training buddy right now. All right, so there's a lot that's in this passage, but we see a few things that we really want to remember. The first is that Jesus has reconciled us, or forgiven us of our sins and brought us back into relationship with him. And as a result of that, there's a few things that are true about you and your identity. The first we see in verse 17 is that if you're in Christ, you are brand new, which means that no matter what you've done or has been done to you, if you're in Christ, you're new. The second thing we see in verse 20 is that you now have a new identity. You are his ambassador, which means God wants you to tell others about Jesus. So to help us remember that, we're going to draw a globe. We simply draw a circle with a plus sign in the middle, do a line above, a line below, and some parentheses to make a globe. So we are now ambassadors. But here's the thing. You cannot separate these two parts of your new identity. You can't become new and not be an ambassador of Jesus. And you can't be an ambassador of Jesus if you've never been made new. So you can't separate these two. Why do we make disciples? It's part of our identity. It's who we are. It's who we are. It's who we are. You know, it reminds me, um, reminds me a lot of uh, Jesus' appeal for 
uh, different ones to come to him. When he first starts calling people to be his disciple, um, I'll, read it, I'll read you a little section here in Matthew chapter 4. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And verse 19 says, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. So, is there a command to obey? There sure is. Come, follow me. And there's a second part that actually sounds, it's a bit of a command, but it's also like a promise to claim. Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Or um, in the King James, which I learned it when I was a kid, I will make you fishers of men. So this is an incredible thing. Um, first, that there's, like he said, there's, there's sort of two sides to your identity. One is that you're called to follow. And the other one is that you're called to fish. You're called to follow and you're called to fish. It's two sides of the same identity. And here's the great promise is that he'll teach you to fish. So that's why we keep coming back in prayer. When we, we're, we're, when we feel lost and we feel lost, lost, different kind of lost, feel lost in what to do. It's because he's the one who says he'll help us. He'll teach us. And he did. He taught his disciples. And he taught them in such a way and then gave them the command to go make more disciples that Christianity has exploded from that original small group of Jesus' initial disciples into Millions and maybe even, I don't know if people would say confidently, but perhaps even close to a billion people in the world. How did that happen? Disciples made disciples who made disciples who made disciples and just kept on making disciples. It's probably the simplest strategy. And yet, sometimes we, we find it complex. We find it difficult, or we feel lost in what to do. But fish and follow, they go together. You know, we, had, um, we were celebrating the life of Mark Sagal this, this um, two days ago with his funeral. And um, he was a great fisherman and a great hunter. And he just an outdoorsman. He loved being outdoors. And then he met Nancy. And... Uh, Nancy told me, she said, she hadn't done a lot of, um, you know, a lot of fishing and hunting, like not nearly like Mark. And then when they got married, then he invited her into that whole world. Come fishing with me. Come hunting with me. And Mark was a natural teacher. So he's always, when he would fish or hunt, he was always telling everybody he was with the secrets to be better at fishing and, and to, you know, learn where the fish are and to be better at hunting and be more effective in that way. And so she joined him in that. Now, he never demanded. It wasn't like Christ's command that we do these things. Christ is our master. That's different. He never demanded that Nancy do all these things. But she willingly did it with him out of love. And so she followed him into hunting and fishing and camping out of love for him and she came to love it too. And I think this is a little bit of a snapshot of what, is, what happens in the life of a believer 
when they sense that Christ is saying, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, and we go, okay, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you that you'll teach me, that you'll show me. This is not, you know, I'm not used to doing this all the time. I'm not really, I don't know what, I'm trusting you. And then when we enter in to obedience in this area, there is a joy. There is a joy and a satisfaction in this area because we're walking with him, but also it's what we're made for. It's what we're made for. Someone told me this just the other day. They said they got together for someone with coffee, and they just they shared their faith. And it, it, was, it was good, but they went away feeling 10 feet tall from the fact that they were able to share. They found a way to get the words out and to talk about Jesus. And I think that that's what we'll experience too when we are sharing with others our faith. Is that, well, yes, you might feel some fear and trepidation on the going inside, but when we actually can share the value that we have found in Christ, then we'll experience a satisfaction that is very deep in our lives. Now, I'm going to show you another video, and this video is talking about who. Who? Who are we trying to reach? So let's just watch this video together. Continuing with the 411 training, now we're going to answer the second question of who do we reach? So we're going to teach you a tool called the Oikos map. Oikos is just the Greek word for household. It just means sphere of influence or network of relationships. So we're going to start with by putting your name in the middle. And then we want to think of you know, who are some people that you know in your life that are far from God. So I've got a friend named Jim who's far from God and a neighbor named Rick who's far from God and a good buddy of mine named Tom who's far from God and uh, a guy from school named Steve who's far from God and uh, as far as my hobby goes, there's a guy named Kevin that I like to hang out with and uh, do our hobby together. So consider those types of categories. Just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you the names of some people in your life that are far from God and begin to craft your own Oikos map. Go ahead. All right. So we see in John chapter 17 that Jesus was praying for his disciples. And specifically in verse 20, he prays for those whom his disciples will reach. And we want to pray like Jesus. So we want to consider who are the people far from God in their lives so we can uh, network out a map. So I think of Jim and his co-worker, Dane, and they work at Jimmy John's together. And I think of Jim's wife, Chris, who's far from God. And Chris has a good friend named Julie, who's far from God. And uh, Julie dates a guy named John, who's far from God. And uh, Julie's mom is also far from God. And Jim's also got a buddy of his named Tom, that they're in a band together. And I know that Tom likes to work out at the gym, so there's people there that he has that are far from God. So you see what we did just with this one name. 
go ahead and try to map out as many of these relationships of people that are far from God uh, on your map. Just ask the Holy Spirit to give you some names, or in some cases, some places, and uh, go ahead and make your map. Okay. So, everybody get a chance to map out some names? Good. Well, what we've created here is a prayer strategy. It's a prayer map. If we want to see no place left reached in your city, you need to start by seeing no place left reached on your Oikos map. And this is not going to be a work of man. This is going to have to be a work of God. So we're going to ask you to commit to praying for these people each day. And as you're praying, you're going to seek out opportunities to share the gospel with them. And you can add to this map as, as you encounter more and more people. But to help practice for this, we're going to ask you and your training buddy to right now, just take some time and lift up the names of these people in your life who are far from God. Go ahead. God, we thank you for how much you love us and for how much you love the people in our city and these people that you've placed in our life. And God, we just lift them up to you and we ask that your Holy Spirit would draw them, that they would have an opportunity to hear the gospel and would respond in faith and experience the life that you have for them. I pray that you would give us the boldness to go and to share with them. And we're praying for a movement of disciples who make disciples that would reach this city, starting with these Oikos maps. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't you wish you brought a piece of paper this morning? <laughs> you didn't know there'd be all this. Um, I'm going to share one more training, short training segment with you here, and then we're going we're gonna to come to a close. And uh, I'm going to invite us at the end to, to pray together. In fact, I'm going to invite us to come together and pray because this is a week of prayer, but also these things are not accomplished just in the natural. It's not just that you have strategies and tools, though those are, are good. It's that we need the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. He's the one who empowers us to witness, and he's the one who uh, softens hearts and prepares them for the seed of the Word of God. And he can do things that we cannot even ask or imagine. We can't even think of the things that he could do in our lives, but we know he's a great provider and he can do these things. So I'm going to share one more thing with you. Now this one's a very specific tool. If you ever said, like, I wish I could share the gospel effectively or, or simply, this tool is simply about, this, that's what it is. This is about sharing the gospel about as simply as you can possibly do it. So let's watch this last one. And you might want to take notes. Continuing with the 411 training, now we're going to answer the question, what do we say? There's a couple tools that we're going to give you for this. So we're going to go ahead and draw a line in the middle of the page. The first tool we're going to give you is to teach you how to share your testimony in 15 seconds. Your story of how you came to follow Jesus. So I'll just model it. There is a time in my life where I was extremely selfish and even thought of suicide. But then I was forgiven by Jesus and chose to follow him. And I discovered the joy of serving others, and my life has purpose. Do you have a story like that? Now let's go ahead and train you how to do yours. We've got an intro before how you came to Jesus, now that you followed Jesus, and then a question. There's a time in my life 
where I was extremely selfish and even thought of suicide. But then I was forgiven by Jesus and chose to follow Him and discovered the joy of serving others and my life has purpose. Do you have a story like that? All right, let's help you try to build yours. So under the intro, we, we said there was a time in my life. So go ahead and write that there in that section. And now I want you to practice that intro line with your buddy two times, just simply saying, there's a time in my life. There was a time in my life, and volley back and forth. Go ahead. Okay, now we're going to think of one to two words that describe your life before you chose to follow Jesus. So for me, it was selfish and suicide. So there's a time in my life where I was extremely selfish and thought of suicide. So go ahead and practice your story up to that point two times with your buddy. Go ahead. Now we're going to talk about how did you come to Jesus. So we, we specifically used a couple words, you know, but then I was forgiven by Jesus and I chose to follow him. Unless you've got another really short phrase, um, I'd, I'd recommend just using that phrase. And we want to specifically lift up the name of Jesus. So I was forgiven by Jesus and chose to follow him. So go ahead and practice up to this point with your buddy two times. So now let's think of one to two words that describe your life now that you're following Him. So my two words were serve and purpose. So ask the Holy Spirit to give you a couple words and write them in. And once you got them, go ahead and practice up to this point with your buddy two times. Lastly, we want to invite uh, the person that you're sharing with into the conversation. You want to turn it to them so you can find out about them. So the question we ask is, do you have a story like that? So now that you've got it all mapped out, go ahead and turn to your buddy and practice three times your 15-second testimony and listen and help each other try to keep it short and concise and clear. Go ahead. All right. How many thought that was helpful? Okay, yeah, it was good. Let me, I tried, I thought, well, I'm going to draft my own 15-second testimony, uh, do the exercise. This is what I came up. There was a time in my life when I had a, a lot of fear inside of me and struggled to love people. But then I was forgiven by Jesus and chose to follow him. And I discovered a new freedom to love others and a whole new experience of peace came into my life. Do you have a story like that? Do you have people that need to know the, the love of God, the truth of the gospel, the purpose and meaning and hope that he has for them? When you, we looked at that, what we call the Oikos map, and they're drawing circles. Were there people in your mind that you were drawing circles about? I think God wants to use 
every one of us. Not just a few, you know, Green Beret Christians who are the best of the best. He wants, to, he wants a whole army of just average Joes. And um, so our hope is that as we go forward that we can come back to very basic things. This series is called The Commands of Christ. We're going to spend our time talking about just some of the most basic commands that Jesus gave. And there'll be two main things about that. How, how do I follow that command? How do I really live as a disciple of Christ? But then the other thing is, and how, how can I convey that? How can I disciple others? We're preparing ourselves for a harvest. We're making ourselves available to God. And we're saying, use, use me. Use me. You know, I, I heard a story about one of the great revivals. I think it was the Welsh revival where um, one of the, the original, one of the original guys who got started, he asked God to start a revival. He, he, he said, it's like he said, he drew a circle around himself. And he said, start a revival here within this circle. And I think that this is, in order to be fully immersed in what God has for us, in order to, to be on mission with him, to live the adventure that he's called us into, there needs to be a revival in our hearts. There needs to be hope restored in many of our hearts. I know some of you, you've, you've prayed for many years for people who haven't come to Christ, or you've, and you've wondered if it was, a, you know, there's a tendency in us to sometimes give up or to, to move on to other things. And my prayer for you is that hope would arise within you to believe that God could use you and that you can have these light bulb moments where it goes on spiritually or even just very practically where you go, I get it. I understand it. I can do it. But it's the partnering with that is that God would revive our hearts in a, in a powerful way. That if we've, uh, we've put aside his commands, neglected his commands, and we've, we've moved on to other things, our own agenda, building our own kingdom, that we'd feel the call from a deep place that he's calling us back to living for his kingdom. That when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that that, that would mean some very significant choices for us. Adopting his values and not the values of this world. And so my great hope is that this will be very helpful to you. And that it will be life-giving to others that they will be made new in Christ as we press forward as a church. As we take this time, this calling an audible moment to say, we can't stay here. We can't keep playing the same play. The need in our context in Moose Jaw is great. And God has called us to be his ambassadors to this part of the world and beyond. So I want to invite you, I'm, I'm going to just invite you all to come. We're, we're going to pray. I want to invite you, would you stand with me?
And again, I'm not forcing you to do this, but I, I would invite you to come. I invite you all to come. We're, we're a smaller in-house today because of the cold. Those of you who are online, I want you just to join us in your hearts. But I'd like you to physically, would you physically come just right to the front? And I want to pray a prayer that we can pray together. It's just reflecting what we've talked about. A prayer of commitment. My hope is that we we will stop wincing at the Great Commission, but we'll read it with a great sense of anticipation of what God has in store. We'll read it with with great faith. So I just I'm going to pray this. I invite you to repeat after me. It's nothing different from what I've already taught you, so I'm not throwing any curveballs at you in this. But would you repeat this after me? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are the Lord of the harvest. Send me forth as a laborer in your harvest field. Send others too into the harvest fields of Moose Jaw and surrounding areas. Help me to love the people you died for like you do. Teach me to follow you. Teach me to fish for people. Teach me how to make disciples. Teach me to obey all that you have commanded. In the mighty name of Jesus, Amen. Amen. Let's worship him, and, and then let's feast together afterwards. I think there'll be twice as much food as we have people here. So you just have to bring your appetite, okay? Let's worship him. <laughs>